Second Kings 21. Let's do some quick overview. As we've talked about repeatedly, uh, Kings was, uh, the, it's a, the life of the kings over Israel and Judah. We know that by the time we get to chapter 21, Israel's gone. Remember that every king in Israel was evil and wicked, starting off with, it unfortunately started off with Solomon, and because of his compromise, that God ripped the, tore the kingdom in half. And now Israel is now gone from King Ahab further on down. There was just evil king after evil king. God finally allowed them to be judged by the Assyrians. They were taken away into captivity. They had hooks run through their lips and uh, through their noses, and they were drug away naked into a faraway land. The Assyrians sent some of their own people to occupy Israel. And now the only thing that remains is Judah. Judah is the southern two tribes where Jerusalem is located. And we saw last time that they had a godly king by the name of Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah was far from perfect, but Hezekiah was the first king to get rid of all the other false idols. He tore them all down. He reinstituted the worship of the true and the living God. But we do know that after God had destroyed, we saw that God showed up and one angel, the angel of the Lord, that means it's the Lord, killed 185,000 Assyrians. And so because of that, the Assyrians became fearful of Judah. They had, been, they had, had them, uh, you know, uh, surrounded and they were going to defeat them. And then the Lord showed up in a mighty and a powerful way. But after the biggest victory of his life, Hezekiah pleaded with God because he became sick. And God said, you're going to die. And then he pleaded with God and God gave him 15 more years to live. And so now we're going to move on from Hezekiah and we're going to see his son by the name of Manasseh. And if you have your outline, grab it. And we're going to see, you're going to learn a little bit about Manasseh just by looking at the outline. I titled the message, Provoking God to Anger. Do you know that God gets angry? What's the answer? He does. But we're going to see the things that make him angry. And they're actually the things that should make us angry as well. And so he's going to, we're going to see this, this man, Manasseh, who is, whose father was uh, the most godly king that Judah had had up to this point. And you would hope that Manasseh would be just like his dad. And that's our hope for our children. We, we want them to be better than us, amen? But we want our kids to love God more than we do. But we certainly want them to love, love God at least as much as we do, amen? And we want them to follow the Lord. And sadly, a lot of us have prodigal kids. A lot of us have raised our kids in a godly home. And just because you raise them in a godly home doesn't mean they'll always walk with the Lord. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. So in the outline, provoking God to anger, how to make God angry. Number one, by being raised in a godly home, being taught the truth and choosing Choosing to follow your fleshly desires. Openly rebelling against Almighty God. First two commandments, there's no other God before me and no graven image. And we're going to see Manasseh break both the first and the second commandment and take every godly thing that his father did and undo it all. And we know that you know, sometimes we can think that, well, that God has grandchildren, right? Like, well, my parents love the Lord, or my dad's a pastor, or, you know, I have people in my life, I'll have people say things like that to me sometimes. I'll talk to you about the Lord, they'll say, well, my great uncle was a missionary. Well, God bless him, but that's got nothing to do with you. Can I get an amen to that? It has nothing to do with your walk with the Lord, and sadly, we're going to see that in Manasseh's life as well. We're going to see him not only be a son that doesn't follow his father, but we're going to see him be an evil father. He's actually going to sacrifice his own children to the false gods, the false god Molech. Number two, provoking God to anger, choosing to do evil in the sight of the Lord. By the way, every time you do evil, it's in the sight of the Lord. Amen. God is always watching. And not only is he watching, he knows your thoughts. Amen? He knows what you think about. He knows when you're being tempted. And when you're being tempted, he always makes a way of escape. We're going to see the progression of sin. First, we're going to see idolatry is tolerated. Then it's promoted. Then it's supported and funded. And then the worship of the true and living God is undermined. Then the worshipers of the true and living God are persecuted and murdered. And then finally comes God's judgment. And I'll tell you what, when I was writing these things down, all I could think about was our country right now. Amen? Where sinful behavior started being tolerated. Then it started being promoted. Now it's supported and funded. We can just pick abortion as one example. Amen? 
and you can look at ungodly things, and then you're gonna, we now are seeing that the worship of the true and living God is undermined. When, you know, when strip clubs can stay open and churches can't because of a, of a disease or a, because of a pandemic, we know where the priorities are in our country, amen? And you know what? That's why we need, to, we need to stand for the Lord. The worshipers of the true and living God are persecuted and even murdered. You know, we don't see that a lot in this country as far as that, but it's go, more people are dying, more people are being persecuted and martyred today than any time in the history of the world for their Christian faith. It's just not happening in this country. And then the judgment of God comes. And then finally, thirdly, provoking God to anger, we're going to see that our, the consequences of our sin impacting others. See, when we sin, here's what the enemy will tell you. Go ahead and sin. God will forgive you. Has anybody ever heard that whispered in their ear besides me? Amen. When you're tempted to do something in the back of your mind, the enemy is whispering to you, you can go ahead and do that because God will forgive you. Now, the truth is, if you're truly repentant, God will forgive you. But guess what? That sin will usually almost always impact more than just you. When you choose to sin, not only does it harm your walk, not only does it cause you to be separated from the Lord until you repent, but that consequences of your sin impact others, be it your children or your spouse or the reputation that you have. So when we sin, yes, God will forgive us, but often the consequences remain. And then finally, we'll see the thing that provokes God to anger is having a hard heart that refuses to repent. We're going to see that at the very end with Manasseh's son. So this ungodly man who's offering some of his children up to Molech, one of his sons survives, he becomes the next king, and he's just as evil as his dad. So let's begin there in verse 1, provoking God to anger, how to make God angry. First of all, we're going to see by being raised in a godly home, being raised with the truth, and then sadly, choosing to walk in open rebellion against Almighty God. I should probably get out of 1 Kings and then 2 Kings if I'm going to read this right. Okay, verse one. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned how long? 55 years. I'm 58. So he reigned 55 years. Now I want to say this. We're going to find out that this guy's an ungodly man. And too often we'll equate longevity or prosperity with God's blessing. And that is not always the case. Amen? It doesn't mean that that person is godly just because they live a long time. It doesn't mean the person's ungodly because they don't live a long time. It doesn't mean a person's godly because they have a lot of material wealth. It doesn't mean someone's ungodly because they don't. Amen? And so he lives 55 years. He has, reigns his 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hezphiba. Now let's say this about, I want to talk about this a minute. If you'll remember last week that the king, Hezekiah, was on his deathbed, and he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord gave him 15 more years, which means Manasseh was only born because God allowed Hezekiah to live 15 more years after he was on his deathbed. And I wonder if Hezekiah knew what kind of kid Manasseh would be. He might have just told the Lord, just take me out now, because <laughs> I don't want that kid being born. Because we're going to see that Manasseh is a mess. We're also going to see the grace of God in Manasseh's life before it's over. He would doubtlessly have, have no desire to recover from his sickness, and it'd be better by far to die than to see this ungodly son come along and undo everything that Hezekiah had done to serve the true and living God. You know, while we earnestly pray to raise our children in the truth, it would be wonderful if every child raised in a Christian home would grow up to love and serve and follow Jesus. And sadly, that's not always the case. And you know, at the same time, let me say this. No matter how far away your kids may get from the Lord, you don't stop praying. Amen. And don't stop loving them. And don't stop ministering to them and continue to reach out to them and continue to pray that God will, will bring divine appointments into their life. If they won't listen to you, pray that God will bring someone else to speak into their life. Amen? If, if, look, I know that all my kids get prayed for every day because I pray for them every single day. I've got one in heaven now. I don't have to pray for him anymore. He's safely home. Amen? 
but I pray that we're comforted that he's not here. So we need to continue to intercede on behalf of our children. And sadly, they don't always walk in obedience to the Lord. So 55 years is going to be the longest reign of any king in the South. And sometimes, again, we have this notion, the nicer the king, the longer the reign. Well, certainly that's not the case here. Manasseh's reign was both long, is remarkably long and remarkably evil. It can be said that he is the Ahab of Judah. Remember Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they were the most evil kings ever in the north, in Israel. But he's going to be right cut from the same cloth as Ahab as a king in the south. Manasseh is named uh, in Assyrian writings uh, among 12 rulers in Palestine who, who brought tribute in kind to their overlords. He was submitted to the, the king of Assyria later on. Now, what's interesting to note here is his mom's name means my delight is in her. And what I love about that is that, and I think this should be true, that every dad should look at his daughter and say, my delight is in her because that's what her dad, but guess who her dad is? Her dad is Isaiah, the prophet. So that means Manasseh is Isaiah's grandson. So he's got a godly dad and a grandfather who's a prophet, and he's going to be one of the most evil men who ever walked on the planet. Now we can look at that again, and we can wonder why that happens, but just remember that God, the father, the first, the, the two first two people he created were Adam and Eve. Amen? And they could talk to him in the cool of the day, and they had intimate fellowship with Almighty God, and yet what did they do? They sinned. Jesus Christ had 12 disciples that he poured his life into. One betrayed him, one denied him, and 10 abandoned him. Well, at least nine abandoned him. John was still there at the cross, and they ran for their lives. And so sometimes as parents, we can feel like we have failed, and certainly we want to do everything we can to pour Jesus into our kids, but we have to know that they have free will. Amen? We all know they have free will because we raised them, and we know what it's like having to deal with them. But I love that my delight is in her. I can just imagine Isaiah holding his baby girl saying, my delight is in her. I think every husband ought to be able to say the same thing to his wife. Isaiah uses this name as one of the prophecies about Jerusalem. When you get to Isaiah 62, it says, you shall not, no longer be turned forsaken, nor shall your land any more be desolate, but you shall become Hez Hephzibah, which is his daughter's name, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. So he even uses his daughter's name to speak about God delighting in Israel. And so here you have Isaiah with this daughter that he loves and pours his life into, who marries Hezekiah, who's a godly king, and then they have the son Manasseh. You would think that this kid would be an amazing king. But sadly, we're going to see that that's not the case. God's going to be taking the city of Jerusalem and changing it from a place, uh, first it's going to be a place of disappointment. And we're going to see why in tonight's chapter. But we're going to see that God's going to restore Israel later, just as Isaiah prophesies. So God is sovereign. No suffering is wasted. The Lord will use our heartfelt pain and suffering to minister to others. Imagine Hezekiah, his dad is gone, but his mom is still alive. And his grandfather's still alive. And you can imagine the heartache that takes place in seeing what their son and grandson has become and how he is living his life. While we may not fully see or understand how God will, will bring beauty from ashes or blessings through our suffering in the here and now, we need to trust that it will impact eternity if we will just trust him. I want you to know that when you suffer, God knows. When you're going through difficulty, God knows. When you have Kids walking in rebellion, God knows. When you're struggling with cancer, God knows. When you have financial issues, God knows. When you're struggling with an addiction, God knows. Whatever you're going through, God knows. And I want you to know that God is faithful. I don't like reading a lot of illustrations, but one of the commentators I was looking at earlier today has this illustration about suffering, and it's his true story. So let me read this to you. Um, it's written by Cheryl Waterman Stewart. She's speaking about her grandfather. 
She said, Grandfather Nabokin loved life, especially when he could play a trick on somebody. At those times, his large, large Norwegian frame shook with laughter while he feigned innocent surprise, exclaiming, oh, forevermore. But on a cold Saturday in downtown Chicago, Grandpa felt that God played a trick on him and Grandpa wasn't laughing. Mother's father worked as a carpenter, and on this particular day, he was building some crates for clothes his church was sending to an orphanage in China. On his way, he reached into his shirt pocket to find his glasses, but they were gone. He remembered putting them uh, there that morning, so he drove back to the church. He searched, uh, his search proved fruitless. When he mentally replayed his earlier actions, he realized what happened. The glasses had slipped out of his pocket unnoticed and fallen into one of the crates, which were nailed shut, so his brand new glasses were headed for China. This was during the Great Depression. He had six uh, children at home. He had spent almost a week's wages to buy these glasses that very morning, and he thought it's just not fair as he drove home in frustration. I've been faithful in giving of my time and my money to your work, Lord, and now this. Several months later, the director of the orphanage was on furlough in the United States, and he wanted to visit all the churches that supported him in China. So he came to speak one Sunday night, and my grandfather's small church in Chicago. Grandpa and his family sat in their customary seats amongst the sparse congregation, and the missionary began to thank the people for their faithfulness in supporting the orphanage. But most of all, he said, I must thank you for the glasses you sent me last year. You see, the communists had swept through the orphanage, destroying everything, including my glasses, and I was desperate. Even if I had the money, I couldn't get glasses in communist China. It would be impossible. Along with not being able to see, I experienced great headaches. So my coworkers and I got on our knees and prayed about this. Then your crates arrived, and when we opened it up, we found a pair of glasses laying on top. The missionary paused long enough to let his words sink in. Then he, still gripped with wonder of it all, said, folks, then I tried the glasses on, and it's though they were custom made just for me. I want to thank whoever sent those glasses to me. You have no idea what a blessing it was. The people listened, happy about the miraculous glasses, but the missionary must be thinking of another church, they thought, because there was no glasses on the list of things they sent overseas. But sitting quietly in the back with tears streaming down his face, an ordinary carpenter realized that the master carpenter had used him in an extraordinary way. Sometimes God takes things that are painful for us and uses them in the life of others. Can I get an amen to that? See, sometimes we don't understand why we go through great difficulty, why we may be suffering, why we have, you know, such heartache. And we sometimes can even question or doubt God, but here's what we need to know. Again, that no suffering is wasted. Amen? that the things that hurt us the most often are the things that God can use the most. Though you may feel like God thinks you're a disappointment, the truth is that you are his delight, just as, as he would say, Isaiah said of his own daughter, how could it be that God could take someone forsaken like us and we could be his delight? It happened at the cross where Jesus took all the bad things in my life and cleared them all away by dying in my place. It says in Isaiah 54, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. See, even as Isaiah and even as uh, Manasseh's mom is looking at their son and their hearts are broken, we know that God will use even our suffering for his glory. Now look what it says about Manasseh, I've already given it away, but here it is. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. This is one bad king. He is going to be known as the worst of the worst, yet his dad was one of the best. He even possibly ruled for a period of time with his dad. There may have been a transition time. There's a text that kind of points to the fact that he had some years 
hanging out with his dad and his dad was teaching him how to be king, knowing that he would be the king to replace him, knowing that he had been given 15 years, that his days were running to an end and he was preparing his son to take over. But as he prepares his son to take over, obviously his son's not paying any attention or if he is, he's ignoring everything that his dad teaches him. So you're not the only one that's had a kid do that to you, amen? Where everything he teaches him, he seems to be ignoring it. So again, bad kids can come from good parents. I think it's wrong when we look at people who have gone bad and assume it's because of their parents that they turned out so bad. I'll be transparent with you. I think I shared this with you before. I was a youth pastor for 15 years, which means I dealt with teenagers on purpose, okay? And I loved them. But I will say this, when my kids were really little, I would look at really troubled teens. I never said it out loud, not one time. But in my mind, I would think their parents just must not be doing a very good job raising their kids. I never said that, but you know, you know who doesn't say that? Kids, people who've had teenagers. <laughs> Amen. Because <laughs> it's real easy to keep the kids in order when they're two, three, four, five, and seven. And then when they get to be older and they, you know, they have more of a free will, sadly, they're all going to make choices. If you're thinking bad children are pro- products of dysfunctional families, well, in a sense, you're right, because every family is dysfunctional. Can I get an amen? There are no perfect families. They don't exist. Amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. So we're going to see the depths of Manasseh's depravity in the coming verses. Uh, God's going to bring judgment upon the land because of his choices. Now watch what he does. Look at verse 3. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. Now remember, the high places were altars to the false gods. And a lot of the kings would come along, even the godly kings who would honor the Lord, but they would not tear the altars down. Hezekiah comes along and tears all the altars down to all the false gods. Now, I've told you this before, and this is why I will never be elected anything, let alone president. But if I had the power to do it, I would bulldoze every false god meeting place in the United States tomorrow. All of Mormon churches bulldozed. Jehovah's Witnesses, tear them all down. Why? False altars to false gods. Amen? See, what happens is we get conditioned to thinking there's nothing wrong with those because they've been there so long. And Hezekiah finally came along and did just that. He bulldozed them all. He he tore all the altars down. He got rid of every... The only person you could worship was the true and living God. And praise God for that. Amen? And then his son comes along and puts all the altars back up. I'd be looking for the board of education right around then. Amen? Um, Hezekiah, what are you doing? Notice what else he did. Said he raised up altars for Baal. Now, who, who was the big Baal worshiper? Who remembers? Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel is the one who brought Baal and Asheroth worship to Israel. Ahab married a a foreign pagan woman and brought her into the land and she brought her worship with her. And now her worship had tainted the land. And if you'll remember, that's when uh, Elijah called fire down from the sky. You guys remember that? And the Baal, and he kicked down the the, the idols to Baal. I love that guy. Him and me and Hezekiah and Elijah having lunch in heaven at some point. Amen. I love these guys. I want to hang out with guys who kick idols down. Amen. And so, He kicks them all down and then they call fire down from the sky and we find out that the prophets of Baal, they cry out, oh God, we wound ourselves for thee. And they, you know, they're crying out to their God and Elijah's like, surely your God is a God. Maybe he's taking a nap. At one point he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. And he starts mocking their false gods. You know why you can mock false gods? Because they don't exist. Amen? If anything, Satan's behind them. So what happened was after their, their God was proven not to be God, Elijah slayed all the prophets of Baal. Now Manasseh's bringing Baal worship back. He's, he's reinstating worship to this false God who had been removed from the land. Notice what else it says. He created a woman, wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And they worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. Now, the host of heaven speaks of the stars, and really what it's talking about is astrology. Let me say this as Christians. Some of you have done this to me, and you know who you are, and I won't call you out by name, but I've had someone come up to me, I bet you're this sign. 
I bet you're this sign. You're, you're totally classic that sign. I'm like, you do understand that's all demonic nonsense, right? Can I get an amen to that? It is complete and total, utter demonic nonsense. And as Christians, we should have absolutely nothing to do with it. Amen. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. We don't look to the stars. We look to the one who put the stars in the sky. Amen. It's demonic. And I still haven't figured out because this star is in that star. You're going to meet a redheaded guy at two o'clock. I don't understand how that works. Amen. This nonsense that people publish in the newspaper. I got to see what my astrology says before I leave the bed in the morning. Here's a good idea. Get down on your knees and spend time in God's word before you get out of bed in the morning. Amen. Let's talk to the creator of the universe. So he's reinstating Baal worship. He's put up all the idols. He's restored all the wooden images. And now they're worshiping the cult of astrology as they look to the stars. So sad how quickly he has taken their eyes off the true and living God. Then look what it says. They also built altars in the house of the Lord. Now, I'm getting angry. This happened 2,600 years ago. And it makes me angry that he went into the house of the Lord and built altars to false gods in the house of the Lord. His dad got rid of all the altars and now he's bringing altars into the house of the Lord. Now we would say, well, we would never do that. Well, I don't know. Have you ever been to a church that might have statues up to saints? Is that not an altar to a false god? What's the answer? Yes, it is. Well, Pastor Dave, you're picking on the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church needs to repent. Amen? No false gods. Amen? See, and we, what happens is we get used to it. We become desensitized to it. There's only one focus when we come to church. It's Jesus. Amen? We, we don't kiss saints. We don't pray to saints. We don't worship Mary. Mary's blessed among women, used mildly by God. But if anybody could come down from heaven and tell us to stop it, it would be Mary. She'd come down and say, knock it off. Can I get an amen to that? Quit praying to me. Stop it already. Amen? So even though these altars are in the temple, guess what? We sell altars in our churches today. Amen? Be careful. Don't, we don't worship Christian pastors. We don't worship Christian musicians. There shouldn't be Christian celebrities. Amen? Got to stop that. And so they built these altars. And it says there in verse 5, they built altars for all the host of heaven and the two courts. So they went into the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. So the place where God's name is, and they're building altars to the stars in heaven. In the two courts of the house of the Lord, they're putting up places for all the false gods to be worshiped, and the people are coming, and they're tolerating it. And see, that's how it starts. We tolerate it. We don't say anything against it. We just let it continue. And before we know it, we're going to go from tolerating it to promoting it. Verse 5. Again, he says he built the altar. So it's bad enough for Manasseh to allow this idol worship into Judah. It's even worse that he corrupted the worship of the true and living God at the temple. And he made the temple a place of idol worship, including those, again, dedicated to the cult of astrological worship. Verse 6. He also made his son pass through the fire. You know what that means? One of the gods is Molech. We've talked about this. And what Molech was made out of brass or iron, some kind of a metal that could retain heat. And they would heat up his hands. And what they would do to worship the god Molech, the god of fertility, is they would take their children, their newborn babies, and set them on the hot burning iron and listen to, and watch them burn to death and scream at the top of their lungs. And while they were screaming, they would play drums to drown out the screams of their babies. Now, Manasseh has gone from Hezekiah, worshiping the true and living God, Isaiah, his grandfather, a prophet of God, and now he is taking his own children and sacrificing them on an altar to a false god of fertility. And again, we would say, well, we would never burn our babies, except one of the main ways they do abortions is they, at least they used to, they would inject 
a, a solution that would cause the babies to burn alive when they're very small. And guys, there's nothing new under the sun, and we as believers should not tolerate it, certainly not promote it. We should be grieved by it and stand up against it. Can I get an amen to that? And that's what's happening here is the, this new king comes along, and he's getting so far away from the Lord. But you know what? Here's what I found to be true. You tend to get the king that you want. You tend to get the president that you want. You, t- you tend to get what you voted for, and the people get what they actually wanted. And, and before you know it, if a, king, if, a, if a country is far away from God, they're going to promote, they're going to elect people that are far away from God. And then you're not going to be surprised when you see the country getting further away from God. Amen? And here's what's happening with Manasseh. So tragic. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. I guess so. Can it, is there anything else he can do? He's talking to psychics. By the way, here's the truth about psychics. There's one of two things when it comes to psychics and palm readers and tarot cards. And uh, this lady came across the street from our house to come and talk to me. And she said, I just want you to know that I'm a medium and I can help you talk to your dead son in heaven anytime you want. And I said, yeah, I don't think so. No, you can't. Can I get an amen to that? Because one of two things is true about people like this. One, they're either just complete and total charlatans ripping you off or if they have any power of any kind, it's satanic. So when being a thief and a crook is the better of the two, these are people you want to stay away from. Can I get an amen to that? Years ago, I used to get psychics assigned to me. I sell advertising, as you know, and I'd get psychics assigned to me in abortion clinics, and I would just cancel all their advertising without calling them. I just cancel it all. I would tell my boss, if you assign them to me, it'll look like they don't exist. I would call the phone company and make sure their phone number was not even listed anymore. Just remove them completely. They're completely out of there. Well, then one year I had three psychics assigned to me and God put on my heart, go witness to them. If you're not going to witness to them, who is? Okay. The first one I went to, we started talking about the Lord. I invited her to Calvary Chapel, San Jose, her and her daughter. They both got saved and they walked away from being psychics for the rest of their lives. The second one I went in to see, I walked in and she looked at me and this is what she said. This is how I know some of them are just from Satan. Here's what she said. You have another job besides this job. And the other one is the priority and passion of your life. And you don't want to be here right now because you think I'm a tool of the devil. I went, bingo. So I know. (laughs) Amen. Point I'm making, though, is that we should not be messing with that stuff. Can I get an amen to that? No Ouija boards, none of that stuff. And people can say, oh, you're just being, no, we're just being biblical. We're just being godly. We should have nothing to do with that. Amen. We don't entertain Satan. We don't entertain stuff that's demonic. We have nothing to do with it. Amen? And here's the king of Israel. By the way, he's the king of Judah. He's God's king over God's people. And he's the one setting up all these false altars. He's the one that's worshiping and and bringing in mediums and soothsayers to give direction and wisdom. By the way, has he mentioned the Lord anywhere in here so far? The only thing he says, the only thing that's mentioned about the Lord is that he put idols and places of idolatry in the house of the Lord. Witchcraft, spiritists, and mediums, it says this in Deuteronomy 18. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead there's my neighbor for all who do things are these things are an abomination to the lord and because of these abominations the lord your god drives them out from before you it's almost as if Manasseh turned to Deuteronomy 18 and decided to do every single thing in that verse because that's exactly what he's done. Everything God forbid, he did all of it. He became king. I want to blame it on the fact that he's 12 years old because he's acting like a kid. Can I get an amen? It's a mistake to think all who practice these things are simply hucksters because some of them, again, are, are charlatans. But sometimes, you know, Satan is real. Amen. 
And some of them have the power to do things that comes from the devil. So Manasseh invited direct satanic influence by his approval and the introduction of occult arts, and he brings it out to the people of, of, of Judah. Manasseh is the king and ruler over God's people. He's evil, he's perverse, he has rebelled and turned his back on God. Now again, you would think with the way he was raised, you would think looking at his dad and his mom and his grandfather, they would have been a godly man. You would think that when he served alongside his dad for a time and saw how his dad operated, that he would become a godly man. This goes to show us that we all have free will. And sadly, Manasseh, is making horrible, horrible choices. This says in verse seven, he even set a carved image of Asherah, that's Jezebel's favorite, that he had made in the house which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So he literally had a carving of Asheroth put into the house of the Lord. And there, where God's name was on the house, the false God was being worshiped. We need to be careful and be mindful of churches. I watched a, a short video today that somebody sent me from a supposed Christian church, and I listened to the first 15 minutes, and it was the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. It was so far away from anything to do with Jesus Christ. And I go to their website, it says our non-denominational Christian church, and you listen to what they're teaching. And what has happened is people, he never mentioned a verse in the Bible, not one verse. No, no, you would never have known if he could have been a speaker at a conference somewhere. And, mo and almost everything he taught was completely contradictory to the word of God. But guys, you know why that's allowed to happen? Because we have people who call themselves Christians who are biblically illiterate. Because while this guy was teaching, they kept saying, amen. Amen. I'm like, amen to what? And the sad part is because they don't know what the word of God says. And that's why we hand out a lot of Bibles here. And we want you, that's why I will never put the words to the Bible on a screen. A lot of pastors do that. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm ne I will never do that. You know why I don't want to do that? It would save us money. Let's just put the words on the wall and, and not buy Bible. We're not doing that because I want you to hold this in your lap and make sure that whatever's taught up here agrees with what's in here. Amen. Amen. And then you'll take it home with you and keep reading it. Because if you don't, you'll be amen and a bunch of nonsense like I just saw in this video earlier today. And here's what's happening. He's acting contrary. To, I'm waiting for someone to come in and kick the stuff down. We need Elijah to get up. Amen? Elijah, come on back, bro. We got some more kicking down to do. Sadly, we're going to see that doesn't happen. So he carves this image. Asheroth was a Canaanite goddess of fertility and worshiped through, through ritual prostitution. So the way they worship Asheroth is they had temple prostitutes. So that means that Manasseh brought temple prostitutes into the temple of the true and living God, and men were showing up to worship by sleeping with prostitutes in the house of the Lord. He's trying, he couldn't be more evil if he tried. He's as evil as they get. Amen? So tragic. Think if his dad was around, he'd knocked him out in Jesus' name. Amen? Man. Now watch this. Verse 8 and 9. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all I have commanded them and according to all that my servant Moses has commanded. Notice what it says here. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. They became more evil than Israel's enemies. They became more evil than the people that were in Canaan when God gave them victory over the Canaanites. They'd come into the land and they had conquered it and they'd started worshiping the true and living God. And now the children of Israel, in this case Judah, are more evil than the evil people that God removed from the land when he brought them into the land. And guys, this is what can happen to us if we're not careful. Here's a key, I would underline this, but they paid no attention. 
The people paid no attention. They were not watching. We don't see one person stand up and say, Manasseh, what are you doing? What you're doing is wrong and ungodly. There's not one word. The people paid no attention. They just let the king do what he wants. And again, while we are to pray for those who rule over us, we're also to stand up when they're doing things contrary to the word of God and be unashamed to cry it out from the mountaintops. Can I get an amen to that? We need to stand for the truth of God's word, even when nobody else will. Let's not be jerks. Let's not be arrogant. Let's be humble. But again, let's, let's not keep it to ourselves. Keep hearing all the time, oh, our country would be so much greater if all the Christians would just go away. Well, we're going to go away. Soon and very soon. <laughs> going to see the king. Can I get an amen to that? I'm looking forward to the rapture. And they're going to find out when the rapture happens, they're going to think COVID was a pup tent, man. I'm telling you, when we leave, when the Holy Spirit is removed for the most part because he dwells within us, can you imagine what a mess? They're going to blame it on the aliens or something. You just know it. But it doesn't matter. God tried to get their attention, but the king and the people rebelled against God. You know what? God is using whatever trials we go through to get our attention. Can I get an amen to that? Our country is going through a mess right now, and God wants to get our attention. Amen? God wants us to get on our knees and cry out to him to realize we can't fix it. I can't fix it, but God can. Amen? And no suffering is wasted. And we live in the greatest country in the world. I'm thankful that I live here. But every country needs revival, including this one. Amen? You know what this tells me too, though? These are the same people that when Hezekiah was king, were all worshiping the true and living God. And they were all going only to worship him, and all the altars were gone, and they weren't worshiping any other gods. And then the new king comes along, and he sets up a bunch of new gods, and they just roll with it. Which tells me that I'm not so sure how solid they were when they were worshiping the true and living God. Because if they were really worshiping the true and living God, they wouldn't be worshiping the false gods that got put up after, after the king died. Amen? We don't just roll with whatever the new king puts up. Amen? We follow the true and the living God. So point number one, how to make God angry. Being raised in a godly home, being taught the truth, and choosing to follow your fleshly desires. Openly rebelling against the true and living God. Sacrificing your children to the false gods of this world. Leading our children away from the truth. So he sacrificed some of his children. We know that one of his children is going to be the next king. And he is literally leading everybody away from the true and the living God. Our God suffers long, but he doesn't suffer always. Eventually, judgment will come. This was a transformation of the culture from something generally God-honoring to a culture that glorified idolatry and immorality. You know what? We live in a time right now where is, that, is idolatry and immorality glorified? What's the answer? Absolutely. One of the worst things that ever happened was the invention of the cell phone. Amen? Our youth pastor calls this digital crack. Pastor Joshua calls it digital crack. Because what does it do? It's just, every, you look at this and you're more worried about how many likes and follows and who, you know, and it just consumes your time. If we, if we, want, if we spend half as much time in this as we do looking at this, we would be spiritual giants. Can I get an amen to that? If you leave your phone at home, let's, I'm going to have you raise your hand. If you, leave, if you leave your house, you leave your phone at home, do you go back and get it? Sometimes. Raise your hand. Sometimes. I do. I have to have it for work. If you leave your Bible at home, you go back and get it? Yes. Oh, not as many hands. Can I get an amen? We're all convicted right about now. Amen. Bible apps on the phone. Bible apps on the phone. That's true. That's a good thing. Keep a, yeah, amen to that. Keep a Bible in your car. All those are true. Amen to that. But the truth is we see this culture shifted in one king. It went from serving the true and living God to worshiping false gods and immorality. And nobody's saying anything about it. They're just letting it happen. They're just going with the, the flow. Any dead fish can go with the flow. Just remember that. Amen? We don't want to go with the flow. We want to honor God. Point number two, choosing to do evil in the sight of the Lord. 
how can it get any worse? Verse 10. Notice he said, they paid no attention and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations gone before. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets saying, now let me tell you some prophets who lived during that time. So he wasn't without people to speak into his life. We don't see it recorded here, but no doubt some of them must have spoken in Manasseh's life. But here's four prophets that were living at his time. Obviously his grandfather, Isaiah. You guys ever heard of Joel? Nahum? And Habakkuk. These guys were all prophets at the time when Manasseh was doing all of this. And while we don't see it recorded, there's no doubt in my mind at some point there was an interaction with Manasseh going, What are you doing? And Manasseh has made a conscious decision to rebel against God and to live for the world and didn't care, you know, consequences, you know, be as they may. No doubt we know that. Um, and later in Isaiah, he speaks out against Manasseh, his own grandson. While the leaders and the people in the culture had abandoned God, the Lord still had a voice in Judah, and God spoke to the prophets to this disobedient people. No doubt did they speak to Manasseh, but no doubt they spoke to the people. No doubt they called out the people that were worshiping the false gods. And here's the truth. No matter how ungodly the world gets, there's always a godly remnant. Amen? Do you remember when Elijah said, just me, I'm the only one left. Right? You remember that? What did God say? I got 700 more just like you, bro. <laughs> Amen? And so we are the salt and light. And even though the world may seem to be getting so far away from God, we need to be the ones in love and in grace, never self-righteously, but we need to be the ones to stand up and let people know that it's wrong and to get their eyes back on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Lord's voice is never silent. Sometimes we're outnumbered, but he still wants to speak through us. Verse 11, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has done these abominations. So now the prophet is speaking, okay? By his servants, the prophet saying, the Lord's speaking through them. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and also made Judah sin with idols. The Amorites were enemies of God. They were part of the land of Canaan when they came into the land. And he is saying that he has made Judah more ungodly than the Canaanite people, the Amorite people, than the false gods, the people that worship the false gods when they arrived in the land of promise. More wickedly, Again, that's saying something to be more wicked than the Amorites, infamous for their violent, immoral, and depraved culture. And he says, you're worse. And God would say to some churches today, amen. He might say to some churches, you're more ungodly and more evil than the Amorites. There are churches today where it's just all about money. Turn on Christian television. It won't take long to find one. Amen. Plant your seed offering, right? And that whole nonsense and name it and claim it, grab it and blab it. Or the, or the nonsense teaching you that your words have power and you can speak things into existence. And the reason things don't happen is because you don't have enough faith. That is ungodly nonsense. Can I get an amen to that? And yet you have church after church that does it. I don't want to have a negative confession. I'll speak it into, no, you can't speak anything into existence. God does that. Can I get an amen to that? And you're not God, amen? And yet, so we look and we think, look how ungodly they've become, but that's, not, that's true in our nation as well, and it's even in our churches today. Notice what it says in verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, behold, I'm bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both their ears will tingle. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 19.3, and other places in 1 Samuel 3.11, and other places, tingling ears are a sign that an especially severe judgment is coming. So shocking is the severity of the judgment that their ears tingle. And he's saying, look, yeah, you've continued on this ungodly behavior and God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And guess what? Here comes the righteous judgments coming. But God has suffered long. Look at all the things that he's doing. God had shown them grace when they turned, their, turned back toward him. Verse 13, then it says, 
I will stretch out over Jerusalem, the measuring line of Samaria and plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Boy, the word of God can be poetic sometimes. You said, I'm going to take it like you take a dish and you just clean it off. And when you turn it upside down, it shakes everything out and nothing's left. And he says, I'm bringing righteous judgment upon my own people because my own people have walked away from me. Because my own people are worshiping false gods. They have Asheroth, an image of Asheroth and temple prostitutes in the temple of the true and living God. And God says, that's it. Enough. No more. Reminds me of in Revelation. We're going to get there pretty soon, by the way. We'll be in Revelation this year at this church. And in Revelation, where the prophets looking down on earth and that, the, that were martyred and say, you know, a paraphrase. So God, how much longer before you judge those folks? When are you going to get them? God, when are you going to do it? That lets us know that we can at least see something while we're in heaven of what's going on down here. Amen. Because they want to know when it's going to happen. And God's going to bring righteous judgment. Now he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And God's grace is not God's permission. Amen. And God finally, that's it. I've had it. No more. Now, he says, plumb line with Samaria. What happened with Samaria? Because what happened to Samaria? Samaria was the capital of Israel. What happened to them? You guys were here. Who wiped them out? Is, was anybody paying attention? It was like four weeks ago. The Assyrians, remember? The Assyrians came down and God allowed them to wipe them out and they put the hooks through their nose and through their lips and they drug them off to Assyria, amen? And Samaria was the capital. And he's saying, what you saw in Samaria, same thing's coming. The same way righteous judgment came to them and I allowed the Assyrians to come in and wipe out Samaria and take the Israelites away, come in here now. Why? Because you've turned your back on God. The northern kingdom didn't get away with it, neither would the southern kingdom. It's the idea that God would be judging the southern kingdom by the same standard that he had judged the northern kingdom. In the measuring line of Samaria, it's God's logic is simple. If Judah insisted on imitating the sins of the northern kingdom, then God would answer their similar sins with the same judgment. It's coming. You know, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that God won't judge us. Well, God loves me, and I'm one of his kids. And sometimes you get away with doing something you, sh you know you shouldn't do. And you think somehow God's just going to like turn the other way. I want you to know God always sees it. He always knows it. And God can show you grace, but I promise you, you continue doing it and judgment's coming. Can I get him into that? Now we're redeemed and we're forgiven and we have the promise of eternal life. But if we walk in open rebellion against God, especially as his own children, consequences will come. What about it? Yes. When he says woe to anybody, you don't want to be that person. Amen? If it says woe to you, you don't want to be that person. So here's what they've done, though. What they've done is they've turned their back on God. They've gotten so far away from God, you can't recognize the difference between them and the world. And we as the church, we hear that sometimes, that the church looks just like the world. And sometimes people who say that are right. Amen? And we should not look like the world. We should be different than the world, completely different from the world. Billy Graham said this, if God doesn't judge the United States for its wickedness, then he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I actually think he said it about San Francisco, but this quote said the United States, but in either case, you know, at some point, consequences are coming and we need to repent. And you know, especially, and again, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, because that's what the world does. But we should be surprised when people who know God act like they don't know God. Amen? And you know, we're sinners saved by grace, but when we sin, we should hate it. It should grieve us. Verse 14. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. See, God is gracious, but now you've provoked God to anger, and God is finally going to bring the righteous judgment that they deserved a long time ago. By the way, we all deserve righteous judgment. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We all deserve it. But by God's grace, he has delivered us from the judgment 
that we deserve. I'm so prompt. You know, notice he says there in that verse, he uses this word, I will forsake the remnant. Aren't you glad we're under the new covenant? Because it says he'll never what? Leave us nor what? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He said, I'm going to forsake them. But then after the cross, he said, I will never forsake you. If you're mine, if you're his, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're the most blessed of all people. Then he says, because, why is he bringing the judgment? Because they've done evil in my sight and they have what? What does it say? Provoked me to anger. This is where I got the title for the message. It's in here three times. He says, they provoked me to anger. They provoked me to anger. They provoked me to anger. When you provoke God to anger, that's not good. Amen. There's some men who get provoked to anger and it's okay. But God, when you provoke God to anger, it's not good. Let's finish up. Verse 16. He says, they've done evil, provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Here's what he's saying. Since they got delivered out of bondage in Egypt, when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they were whining and moaning about the manna, I want to go back to Egypt, but at least we had leeks and onions, right? When they wouldn't enter into the land of promise, when they cried out when they're backed up against the Red Sea, all along, he, for 400 years, they've been doing nothing but moaning and complaining, and now they finally pushed God to the limit. He says, they've been provoking me since then. It's time. It's done. That's it. I'm bringing judgment. It's coming because they've fallen so far away. Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed the very much, very much innocent blood. He had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I can't think of anything else this guy can do. Now he's shedding innocent blood. It's written in Jewish writings, again, not scripture, but in Jewish writings, that some of the blood Manasseh shed was Isaiah's. He's the one that had Isaiah sawn in two. His godly grandpa. His grandpa, the prophet. So this guy, Manasseh, they just don't get any more evil than this guy. It's like he's Satan possessed. He's like, he's like the, the equivalent of Hitler. He's a mess. He's slaughtering innocent people. He's worshiping every false idol. He's got temple prostitutes in the house of God. Choosing to do evil in the sight of the Lord, first it was tolerated, then it was promoted, then it was supported and funded, then the worship of the true and living God was undermined, then the worships of the true and living God are persecuted and murdered, in this case Isaiah, and now judgment is coming. Point number three there, verse 17 and 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers, was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah. This is the son Ammon reigned, this his son Ammon reigned in his place. So his son's going to take his place. Now, you could argue that Manasseh is as evil and as wicked and as vile as anybody in the Bible. Can I get an amen? When you read in Chronicles, guess what? Guess what? You know, because Chronicles gives us more details. Second Chronicles 33 says this, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound them with bronze fetter, and carried them off to Babylon. Same thing that happened in Samaria. Now, when it, he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. How about that? <laughs> Manasseh repented and God forgave him. Doesn't that give every one of us hope? Can I get an Amen. <laughs> You know, if, if we grade on the curve, now you got another person to put in that list. I'm no Manasseh. I'm no Hitler. I'm no Osama bin Laden. I'm no Manasseh. That, but you know what? Didn't that bless you? That means we're going to see Manasseh in heaven. Wow. Amen? You know what that tells me? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know what else that tells me? You can't get so far away from God that you can't repent. Amen? Amen. And we need to 
this is a good chapter to remind people of. If you ever meet somebody who's saying, but I hear this all the time, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I did prison ministry for 15 years, four years here, 11 years, and I'm going maximum security, guys who murdered people. And they would say to me, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. And I'd say, guess what? The Bible's filled with people did a lot more than you. Amen? And God forgave them. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But there must be repentance. Amen? Now, you don't see it here. Good thing there's a, a Chronicles from Manasseh's sake. Can I get an amen to that? Because otherwise, you just think, dude, train wreck. He died. That's it. <laughs> Praise God for Chronicles. <laughs> Last point, having a hard heart to refuse to repent. Now, let's check out his son. Ammon was 22 years old. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jobah, Dothbah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. You know, you want your kids to follow you, but now when you're Manasseh, <laughs> when you're Hezekiah, can I get an amen to that? And yet he follows after his bad dad does the same things. So he walked in the ways that his father walked. He served the idols that his father served and he worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. You know what? The people are finally doing something about it. Amen? Before they just sat there for 55 years. 55 years of that guy doing all that he did and nobody did anything. And I'm not saying it's right to kill the king necessarily, but in this case, they killed the king because he was an ungodly man. Then the servants of Ammon killed him, but the people of the land executed all those who conspired against the king. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now, does anybody know what kind of person Josiah was? Who was what was Josiah? Was he a godly man? as godly as it gets. Can I get an amen to that? And his dad is Ammon, and his grandpa is Manasseh. So all of our excuses about bad dads, and that's why we're bad, or or, amen? Because we see right here, we can't blame it on our parents. We're all all accountable for our own choices that we make. Let me read the rest of it. And it says there, Josiah, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in the tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. So Ammon only lasted two years. God tolerated 55 years from Manasseh, who praised God we see in Chronicles repented. But now Ammon comes and does the same thing, didn't learn from the example he'd seen in front of him, and God brought swift judgment. So provoking God to anger, how to make God angry, being raised in a godly home, being taught the truth and choosing to follow your own fleshly desires, openly rebelling against the true and living God, sacrificing your children to the false gods of this world, worshiping false idols. Secondly, choosing to do evil in the sight of the Lord, tolerating idolatry, promoting it, supporting it, And then we'll see the worship of the true and living God is undermined and the worshipers of the true and living God are persecuted and murdered. You know, if you've not caught some static for your faith, you're not living out loud for the Lord enough. Don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. But if you make a stand for the Lord, there's going to be people that don't like it. When you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one you hit. They're the ones that are convicted. Amen. So live out loud for the Lord, be kind, be gracious. And then finally, the consequences of sin impact others. God will, repair, will, will forgive you if you repent, but the consequences of your sin remain. See, Manasseh's life had an impact on his children because his son became a man just like him. And even though God did forgive him, didn't the consequences still remain and how it impacted his son? And we need to be careful of that. And then finally, having a hard heart refuses to repent. Just know that when you disobey God, the way of the transgressor is hard. You know the best life to live? An obedient one. Amen? I told you guys this. I'll tell you one more time. Something God put in my heart two years ago, and I wake up with it every morning. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. What I mean by that is, Lord, help me to live a holy and set-apart life. 
Help me, Lord, to walk in the center of your will. This is my prayer every morning. Help me, Lord, to be the man of God you've called me to be. Help me, Lord, to be sensitive for the divine appointments and the people you bring into my path today. Help me to reflect you well today. And Lord, help me to show grace to everyone else. You know how most of the world operates? Grace for me, holiness for everyone else. You know, show me grace, and then they're self-righteously judging everyone else. I'm going to be my own worst critic. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. He convicts me when I need it. And aren't you glad he does? Amen? But I want holiness for me and grace for everyone else. And Lord, help us to, to be those kinds of people. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace. We thank you even for the chapter tonight. Lord, it breaks our hearts to see how far away people who are called by you can get from you. But Lord, it's a warning to everyone in this room that we not fall into that same trap, that we would not walk away from you, but Lord, we would run to you, that we would not become, uh, just start to tolerate ungodliness and then participate in it. And before we know it, we're nowhere near you. Lord, help, me walk, help us walk in intimate fellowship. Help us to live holy and set apart lives. We pray for divine appointments and opportunities to minister to people. We pray for divine appointments tomorrow. May we be loving, may we be kind, may we be gracious. If someone needs a hug, use our arms. If someone needs a word of encouragement, use our lips. Lord, we thank you for the picture in Chronicles that we see even a man like Manasseh can be forgiven, which means we can be forgiven too. And we're thankful for that, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. is he worthy to be worshiped? Let's worship.